0: start off in psalm 121 this morning 121st psalm has a lot of comfort to give but if read too quickly it will also provide some confusion for there are in this psalm several promises of protection including the one that says the lord shall preserve you from all evil and reading that a couple of mornings ago, my mind wandered to those believers who were martyred, killed, murdered for their sake of faith in Christ. How would they read this promise as they were approaching the post or the stake on which they would be set ablaze? Are we not instructed? by Christ to pray and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil but as always as always we should never read a sentence of scripture by itself and when people come and start quoting verses to you and they try to prove a point and say well see you see this verse says this what What does it say beforehand? If they come at you with verse 7 and only part of verse 7, say, what's the rest of verse 7? What was on verse 6? Too often, there's such a misuse and people say, well, it says it in the Bible, but it doesn't say it in the Bible like you think it says it because you've taken it out of the context that it's supposed to be in. And so when we read, Verse 7 of Psalm 121, he shall preserve you from all evil. Notice what follows. He shall preserve your soul. It doesn't say nothing's ever going to happen to your body, but nothing will happen to your soul if you are in Christ Jesus. It's a promise to his people. So that's the key to understanding. The promises are directed to the preservation of the soul. You know, how, do we, how do we come to know a person? Well, generally, we, don't we begin by physical observation? Recognition. But we really get to know them by what is inside them. We could conceivably change bodies or alter appearances, but people would still know us after a few sentences. They would be able to, to say, well, that is you. You know, there was a, a big hoopla. I, I will never understand the celebrity status of people in the worship of celebrities and all that nonsense that goes on. But there's a big hoopla over Oprah Winfrey's weight loss. And they're all fawning over her new look in her purple dress. Oh, that new and thinner look, which also means she, who was firmly against body shaming, shamed her own body. But she said in September that she lost her weight by the old-fashioned way. Hard work, exercise, and diet. Only to confess in recent days she used a medication. I can see that if she had her show today reaching out from under, and you get a pill, and you get a pill, and you get a pill. But from the outward, we learned something about the inward, the soul of the person. We really can't be hypocrites with our bodies, but we certainly... Know that hypocrisy originates within the soul of a person, and she revealed much more than her body in her words. We may remember the simple children's bedtime prayer Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul take. There are many things that are said about heaven. There are numerous people who claim they died and went there only to come back. I'm not afraid to call false on whoever brings that up. You can bet for sure if I get an opportunity to go to heaven, I'm not coming back. There's nothing that could bring me back. Because there is nothing that brings us back and forth. There's no heavenly trolleys. There's no place for the arriving and departing. I'm sure these people had some sort of experience, I don't doubt that, but did they go to heaven? No, no. And in our time this morning, seeing that two weeks ago we spoke on hell, today we'll cover the opposite. So actually all I need to do is bring the sermon that I had two weeks ago and just do it in reverse. The children are delighted about that. They can hear it. The first thing we want to make sure and clear about heaven, it is definitely a place. And as we begin with this fact, it's a place. We do not we cannot begin to doubt that it is a place because what have Jesus said in John chapter 14? In John chapter 14. And verses 2 and 3, he says, the very thing, but not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. Oh, there you go. If it were not so, I would not have told, I would have told you that it's not so. But I go to do what? To prepare a place for you. Now notice in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that language that he uses is just, pregnant with the idea of a place I go to prepare a place and if I go to prepare a place so twice the idea of the fact is of the fact of a place is prepared is set before us and then he says that where I am well if you say to someone where are you you're looking for the place where they are So again, it's loudly a place. It means a location. So from that place, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am in that place, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, in the way you know, he says. That where I am, there you may be. Also, the one who saves us provides us with our eternal abode as well. How do I get to heaven? By faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way. You don't get there just by dying. You don't get there because you you lost all oxygen to your brain for just a few moments. And somehow medical devices weren't picking up anything happening and all of a sudden you started to beat your heart again. Your heart started beating again. That's not death. If it was death your heart would not beat anymore. But if it starts beating again, guess what? You didn't die. Definitions in this world that we live in seem to come and go and change and are in flux all the time, but death seems to be one that you cannot get around as far as trying to redefine it. <coughs> there are those who are quick to say that heaven and hell are just states of being. <coughs> and Jesus said heaven and hell are places. Now we also see from his words that heaven is not on earth. The closest thing to heaven on earth. You know where that is? (laughs) Linville Gorge. (laughs) The closest thing to heaven on earth, and it may be a surprise to a lot of people, is right here. It's right here. The church... Is the closest thing to heaven that you can experience on earth. Why? Because it's the only place that we do things that they do in heaven. So if you're a sour puss in church, you're either in the wrong church or you're not ready for heaven. And further proof is that Jesus said, I will come, and come again, come to bring you, which means again a change of location. Now if we turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, now when he had spoken these things, that is Christ, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go in to heaven. A cloud takes him out of sight. The angel explains this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Taken up from you to go into heaven into heaven again points to a location and they repeat as you saw him go into heaven sometimes we might ask where is heaven now how far away is it do you know where it is could you find it on a map? Of course not. Is it light years away from us? I doubt it. It resides, if you will, without getting too off the beam, it, it, it resides in a different dimension. How many of you believe in angels? Raise your hand. That's good. I think we had 100% on that. Is that true to everybody? Were you watching? Do you see them? Are they here? Yes. What will it take for us to know... Or to see them. A special work of sight by God. Remember Elisha's servant? He says, He Oh man, there's thousands of the king's soldiers come to get us. Elisha prays, oh God, open his eyes that he might see. And the host and the servant looks up on the hill. And what does he see? Thousands and thousands of the hosts of God. They were always there. But he could only see them when God opened their eyes, his eyes to see them. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Again, to go into something, points to location. And what condition was Jesus in when he ascended? Well, he was in a physical body. A physical body which he did not shed when he ascended into heaven. And so the reality of the incarnation is now an eternal thing. It will be forever. Christ will also have his glorified flesh through all eternity now. And he will come and return in that glorified flesh when the end of time has arrived, if he ascended in a physical body, that body had to go to a place as well, and we are told he will return from that place. Paul makes it clear in First Thessalonians chapter four and verse sixteen: "For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and so therefore." Another aspect of it being a location. Descend from what? Descend from heaven. So descend from a location. In Psalm 11 and verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. In Psalm 103 and verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules overall. Now, God is omnipresent, so how can we say that he's present in one place and not in another? The fact that he is omnipresent can't be taken away, but guess when we think about heaven, there is a special presence of God in heaven. And this present takes on certain aspects. You know, in worship, every time we have an invocation, we seek the special presence of God. The only presence that God gives his people, it's a foretaste of heaven. God's presence in heaven has no judgment to it. Nothing but pure love for his people. A place where no sin exists. We can't even begin to imagine what that is like. To be in not only a sinless environment, but have no desire or temptation within our beings to sin ourselves. To be a sinless being in a sinless environment and in the presence, the special presence of God. As we continue with the idea that it is a place, it's a place believers go to when they die. In chapter 31 and verse 1 of our our confession, which we read a couple of weeks ago, it says, The body of men, after death, return to the dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, you see, there are heretics back then, too, who were saying, oh, there's something called soul sleep. Soul sleep. No, there isn't having an immortal subsistence, subsistence, immediately returned to God who gave them, the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise where they are with Christ. And behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. We remember that famous time of Luke 23 and verse 43 with the thief on the cross. You know, there's there's one on either side. There's one that's jeering Christ and the other starts off that way but then changes and and realizes by the grace of God the situation that he's in. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said to him today, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise this day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 6 Paul writes, so we are always confident knowing that while we are At home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body means then that we are in God's presence. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 22 speaks of this glorious company that we are part of every time we worship. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. There's an amazing thing that happens in worship. It's a, again a, a forte, <coughs> Excuse me of heaven. And notice those who are in that assembly, the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, the spirits of just men made perfect, those who have died and have gone before us in that company, worshiping the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul spoke of the difficulty of wanting to be with Christ, the uh, the King James has an interesting picture that comes out of the language that I still wish we, we used, but he said i i'm in a strait betwixt two and you've heard of things like the Strait of magellan it 's like a little piece of land that's on on either side there's water but uh, so he he finds himself he says i'm in a strait, a state uh straight between two in that I really want to go home to be with God be with Christ but it still seems to be necessary and for your benefit that I stay having the desire to depart and be with Christ yet knowing that there's still work for him to be done here But that brings us to another aspect. The current state of heaven is an intermediate state. Intermediary, if you want to look at it that way. The current state is an intermediate state. It's not that heaven will ever cease to exist. But for every saint in heaven, there's an understanding and a sense that even in this wonderful, unimaginably beautiful and, and delightful setting that they are in, <coughs> something's missing. It's not complete bliss. It's not that the souls of those who are departed are going around with woe is me, woe is me. I thought I'd be happy, but I'm not. That's not the case. But yet at the same time, there's still among the saints in heaven an anticipation. Because there's going to become a time when they'll be reunited with their bodies. Not the bodies they had on earth, but bodies made for heaven. And so... It's not that heaven will ever cease to exist, but it will change locations, and in changing locations, it will not have a yard sale. But something major, something beyond our imagining, beyond our expectation, for Christ will descend from heaven. Isaiah 65 verse 17 anticipates that. God speaks for behold I create a new heaven and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Remember the Israelites when they were rescued and delivered out of Egypt. How long did it take as they're going along and say you know Things weren't all that bad in Egypt. Had some real good cucumbers there. And those onions. Boy, they, and, and they started thinking about how, how you know, Israel, Egypt wasn't all that bad. The Lord tells us, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. You won't miss anger. You won't be there in heaven, in the new creation, saying, "You know, I remember that little house on the corner of oh, what was the name of that road? Well, it was near two hundred and ten highway, but it was it was really nice and had nice it had pecan trees in the front yard, and pecan is the proper pronunciation." It had pecans in the yard. (laughs) You won't remember that. You won't look back and say, I miss my house. I miss my yard. I miss my barn. It's all gone. Because something better, much better than we could ever imagine has come our way. So he says, the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. There's no missing anything in heaven. There's no, oh, I I, I wish we could do that. No, it's not there because we're so in awe of how wonderful it is. The former things have passed away. When will it happen? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. No, oh death, where's your sting? Oh hell, where's your victory? It'll also be as Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire because of fossil fuels. Actually, it'll be electric vehicles burning up, but that's a different story. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's right in line with what John says he saw in Revelation 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. It's all in line. True as what Paul said, as we already had quoted in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The first time he did it, he did it to a virgin's womb. This time, he'll return with that body. that, That body that was formed in the womb of Mary, that body now glorified, will descend from heaven. And so, my friends, do you see the continuing importance of the incarnation of Christ? who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and made man. That Jesus died, rose again, ascended with the body he received in the womb of Mary. And with that body now glorified, he will return This as we see all part of God's covenant of grace that we talked about last Sunday. That covenant of grace from before the world was. See, you really can't speak of the return of Christ without first speaking of the incarnation of Christ. And with his return, he who came down from heaven will bring the new heaven and the new earth with him. The hymn that we sing, we're not singing it today, but we will sing it, Joy to the World, was written really about the second coming. But it fits so well the first coming as well. That's usually the context we put it in, but really it's all about the second coming. The heaven now and the heaven to come. He is the provision for it, He is the provider of it, and He is the one who prepares us to live in it. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's stand together for prayer.